the public art scene in Nashville is colored by the problem of having the least artistic people in the world, right. which are Southerners, right. run it. True. Right? So these are people that will spend all of their life savings to protect a sculpture of a Confederate general that I still contend, the one on 65. Um, it's the most hideous thing. It's the in- ugliest thing anybody's ever seen. If this man actually looked that much like Captain Crunch, yeah. then it's almost worth keeping just for the cartoon effect. Yeah, I think we just need to put up... That's what we need to do is we need to just go post a sign that says, Captain Crunch. Absolutely, right? <laughs> and then it would just be just put it on public land in front right. that, you know, Captain Crunch was here. <laughs> It's perfect. And that would explain our Nathan Bedford Forest problem. So we should in, we should introduce the podcast though because this is are we actually recording? I recorded some of this um, just to get, because it's fun to do. Um, and we were talking about Nashville public art, um, but you know this is the BNA podcast. And I'm Jay. I'm Brian. Welcome aboard. All right, so we're back. Yeah, it would be helpful if you gave me a warning. So well, I cough it's, in the mic. I know it's okay. The I can take the cough out, but we started cold this morning on purpose because we off got onto a good conversation, and all I had to do was just let us keep talking about it and hit the red button. That yeah. great thing about digital recording is that you know we can just delete it. We can. It goes away great. super easy. It's very. That's very one of the easy few things I I can actually adequately perform. It's a function I can do. Hmm. Um, in audio editing, I can get rid of stuff. So, uh, how's your Sometimes week been? Sometimes I get rid of everything. Yeah, how's your week been? Uh, my week's been wild and weird and fine. Um, the uh, I didn't have surgery, so I that's did have good. Surgery. See, so look, yeah. you're ahead. I am ahead. You got so one more activity. They went, than they me. went and tattooed my heart. It's an amazing thing. So yeah, what was the yeah. process? To uh, it's, a, it's a cardiac ablation. So right. apparently, my pulmonary arteries, which lay on top of the heart. Um, short circuit the heart there's basically an electrical connection that comes from those arteries that's not supposed to come and it sends the heart out of rhythm and so what they do is they literally they go in and they use a little laser to cauterize under the uh, pulmonary arteries where they touch the heart and so it develops scar tissue so there's no way for the electrical path to uh, to happen to throw me out of rhythm so uh, seems to have worked. I, as near as I can tell, I'm, I, I was I was out of it for a couple of days, but I'm feeling better today. So you feel alive? I do feel. Your alive. heart's beating. My I mean, heart is beating. You know, honestly, the hardest part of it was recovering from anesthesia. Uh, the surgery itself is, other than being bruised up all to you know, because they run catheters up your veins up from your leg and up into your heart and they use the laser that way so i'm kind of bruised up in the lower nether regions of my body but other than that um the surgery itself is is a piece of cake it's the dealing with general anesthesia that is the harder part yeah i only use a lieutenant anesthesia Um, because i'm not serious enough they didn't offer that huh they should sergeant major anesthesia no they that's like they knocked me out and tube in the throat to breathe i actually do like that i did i've only been under general anesthesia once Mm -hmm. and i'm very 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 knock on wood lucky about not having any of that kind of stuff uh i haven't had any surgeries Mm -hmm. of any kind so but i was under general anesthesia once for preventative stuff and i woke up you know, after I guess 40 minutes or something. I don't really know, obviously. And I looked at Nadia and said, 
I completely understand Michael Jackson. <laughs> yes, completely. That's awesome. I, I, I remember they wrote, wheeled me into the procedure room. The guy said, I'm going to give you a couple of margaritas now. And I was out. I was gone. And four and a half hours later, I wake up. And uh, so then I start singing Margaritaville. And it was Mary. like instant. It was right. instant. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yes, it was Margaritaville great. Margaritaville is an excellent uh it's an excellent song for anesthesia. It is. It's perfectly I support this, wonderful. Yeah. So. so there's a lot going on in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, very little of it is very good. It's a dark and it's difficult a dark time, time, isn't yeah. it? It's like, and we're it's, just about out of it. Yeah. So it, I'm it, disappointed about something that's an important part of this because we end up talking about Tennessee, Nashville. It's it's this year particularly. It's just so deeply intertwined, but. The fact that we're like still below 60% in Nashville yeah, for vaccinations is just either the numbers are really wrong or I'm extremely disappointed or both. You know what, Brian? I think it's time for what I think until this thing is over. Um, it's time for our COVID update. update. Yes. So uh, if you've not heard, the state of Tennessee is now number one. Number one. We, we were lagging mo- a little. We you were. know, Texas and Florida have tried. South Carolina is a close second. But right. Ladies and gentlemen, Nashville, ten- I mean, Tennessee, number one. Tennessee, number one in the number of hospitalizations for COVID. And we um, also have the highest infection rate at 770 persons per 100,000 of any place in the world that is yeah actually i heard that if it we if we were an independent nation we'd be second in the world to india or something something like yeah, that right so um we're so killing it we yeah, get, people, i see yeah, what i did there I, I got that and it's uh yeah we need to we need to we'll have a theme song yeah something we'll along that one. but um so we are a state as many folks know that uh, has kind of had not a leadership not a lot of leadership at the state level uh, particularly from our governor and um, so the governor last week came out and did a press conference about COVID and uh, was asked, well, you know, given the numbers, what are y'all going to do? And he basically said, eh, we like the strategy we're using. And that was it. Yeah. The fun part was when he exited the press conference, there was a group of doctors that had this petition with the signatures of like six or 7,000 doctors across the state. And they were like, trying to give it to him to chase after right, right. him and he ran away from them yes uh so ran you know first I'm, time we've seen him run for anything since he ran for governor yeah exactly i i you know it's um first of all folks it's really serious there are a lot of folks getting sick there are a lot of folks dying uh, i was on a conference call on wednesday with uh, james hildreth who's the president over at meharry college uh, of medicine and uh, the big concern is among children. Uh, we've had almost, uh, Davidson County has not had to shut down the school system, but everywhere else around us in the surrounding counties has, except for Williamson, and they're just not going to do it out of they're spite. Just, yeah, right. They're, they'll just let them die. They'll just let them die. It's yeah. funny that their numbers are in the schools are not really high when not they're awful. high everywhere else. Well, but here's I, the thing. The number of people at Williamson County that came to the school board meeting and made the big stink, Mm-hmm. It's a really small number. It's a big number when you put them in a school board meeting. Right. It's a very small number when you release them into the community. It's a highly educated, incredibly high-income part of the country and, right. and part of Tennessee. And the fact of the matter is, 
they just probably are mostly wearing masks. Yeah, they they are. <laughs> and, and are vaccinated whenever th- it's I possible. I think that's exactly right. It's also home to 450 healthcare companies. So yeah. Williamson County has more healthcare firms than any county in the United States. Um, I just kind of suspect that they're just quietly going about their business and trying to stay out of the media. I think that's exactly right. So it's um, so Williamson County is doing better than some, but we've got all these schools closed down because you've got kids that are sick. We've got, uh, and, and this is happening to a younger population. It's not just children. Um, I was listening to something just before we came in here and a guy was talking about his ICU that he was in and you know he was like I got somebody 24 I've got somebody 36 I got somebody yeah, we 40 got young people now, yeah. the early stages of this was an old person's disease yeah it's not anymore it is not and we vaccinated uh, the highest percentage of vaccinated people are over 60 and 70 right. or whatever so I mean we've done a pretty good job of protecting what these the initially endangered population but what people don't seem to understand is that it's, it's like cancer right if you if you don't treat it, it metastasizes, right? It just gets worse and moves. And viruses, when given home, will find some teeny tiny little way to get just a little bit stronger so they can live, right? All cells, you know, not, the, the problem with all this is that Republicans don't believe in cells. But if they did, mm-hmm. if we were actually made out of cells in a carbon-based life form, um, the, these cells learn things. right? And they learn to stay alive. Self-preservation is basically how the world works, you know. Mm-hmm. And they're learning a lot. They are. As a matter of fact, there's already stories coming out about the Mew. Yeah, the Mew is coming is it up. Mew or Mew? I have heard Mew. Mew uh, variant, which is the the M variant, and it is. Um, there's some concern that it may be vaccine resistant. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, they think if you don't have enough vaccinated people in a population. Then it gets to metastasize. It right. moves around. It gets a little stronger and a little stronger every time it moves. So here's the deal. I I understand that folks are sick of this. I'm sick of it too. I like going to restaurants. I like going to hear music. I like doing all of that stuff that is just such a wonderfully... Um, it's a great gift for those of us that live in Nashville. I mean, there's some great restaurants, there's some great places to hear music, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I'm not encouraging us shutting down the society again. I I think that's a necessary. We have vaccines, but I know that the COVID fatigue, I know you're going, why in the hell are you all talking about this again? Well, it's because it ain't going away. And it's the only thing going on. Well, to everything some extent, is colored by it. Exactly. Right? Every event, every thought, every motion that happens in government, that happens, you know, in school, for kids, for all. I mean, everything is touched by it. The, the thing for me is we lived under this myth that, well, we'll just get to the other side and everything will move back to normal. Yeah. And what we are seeing societally is that that's not going to happen. There is not a normal of the way life is going to be. Right. You know, it's not going to return to pre-COVID. So, and I've just been reading a lot of articles this week. I read one about the um, supply chain shortage. You know, the fact that um, they're not able to ship as many products as they did before COVID. Right. And, and you know, what those folks are saying is 
this ain't getting fixed anytime soon. We're probably looking three, four, maybe five years right. before this could ever get there. And as long as COVID keeps happening, there's no way to move and restore whatever the new normal is. Right. The, you know, this past week, um, I was my the church I work at. I should say the church I serve. I guess. Uh, yeah, um, you serve. It's I serve that church. We've been in the daycare business for since 1957. We have run some sort of childcare business at our church. This past week, we had to close that daycare. And why is it? We can't find staff. We literally, I mean, we've raised the rates, um, you know, to the point um, that we could uh, without just overburdening our parents with fees. Um, but we just couldn't find staff, enough staff to run the program. And of course, it's it's licensed by the state, and they have all sorts of protocols and things you so have you to have do. To have a certain so number you of have people. to have a certain number of people. It has to run in a particularly, you know, in a particular way. Um, and all of that, as I've been trying to tell my church folk, look, folks, we just have to. First of all, what the thing that struck out at me was how fragile the system that we lived in was before COVID. Right. That it doesn't take a whole lot for the whole thing to just collapse. And that there is no returning back. We're we're in this thing for a while. Um, and it's not just till this surge goes down because there's going to be another one. And yeah, right. Gonna, Things will continue to morph and change. Or we could all get vaccinated. Or we could all get vaccinated. Uh, anything and, over about 72 to 78%, depending on who you read, right, would, um, for all practical purposes, arrest the, the ability of the... Uh, you know of this particular mutant <laughs> to move right. off and remutate right so it's um it's one of those things i mean of course we've been saying since the beginning folks get vaccinated wear your masks and by the do way all that even stuff. even the governor has again he said like two or three times this week our best defense against the covid uh, is getting that vaccine. But then he says, well, yeah, then he but goes really in closed room with people and it, 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 he, what I would refer to is he de-examples it. Well, and, <laughs> and then he also says, yeah, but if you don't want to get it, that's your right. Yeah, he has, it's really funny that, so this has become like this really interesting sociological problem and Tennessee is, is in my experience, is the best example that I've ever been around because, you know, we live in this, we call Nashville like a blue city in a red state, but it's really a purple city in a red state. Right. You know, it's not, correct. A, it's not very blue. Um, Nashville is for all practical purposes, even the fact that we continually would elect Democrats given the opportunity, which we're about to lose and redistricting. But if we had the opportunity, we, we could do that. Right. Um, but they're always be they're going to be blue dog Democrats, right? right? I mean, so the reason I say it is because he constantly says things that he can then clip into two different parts, right? Right? He does a purple statement like, right. "Well, the vaccine is our best, you know, defense against the coronavirus," right? Comma, but you, hey, listen, this is you know, it's America. You're free to do whatever you want to do, right? Um, so it's like, but it's always just a pause in between the two. It's as though he's giving space for the editors in his campaign to separate the two. I think he is. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So he, depending on what part of the state he's 
showing an ad in, mm-hmm. you'll hear half of the sentence here and half the sentence there. You you did hear that the uh, city of Memphis actually um, has prevailed in yeah a they sued and won they right. sued and won related to mask mandates for kids in schools and the, the which basis, is good for Davidson County because we haven't been doing it. I mean, we yeah. ignored it anyway. We but. did ignore it anyway, but it's nice to know that the feds have at least backed it up. Right. So um, so the the idea there was that. Um, by not requiring masks, you're putting people with disabilities at a risk. Absolutely. And, uh, and that that is not legal. Well, this so. is going to be a recurring, you know, we're going to, you know, even though the governor won't, we're going to continue doing a COVID update every week or so when we record until it is no longer the thing that makes all of, you know, that colors every decision, right? It's like where you go and what you do. You know, I think we can stop talking about it when you leave the house and you don't have to ask yourself, do I have my mask with me? Right. Right. And until you can leave the house without asking yourself that question, then it's, it's one of the most important things that we're going to deal with as a city, as a state and as a country. Right. So right after this break, we'll come back and talk about the fact that COVID is not the only thing that will kill you in Nashville. Well, welcome back to the beauty podcast. So, we were talking about COVID, you know, killing people, and we're, we're doing great there. We're number one. Yes. Um, unfortunately, it's not the only way to die in Nashville, Tennessee. The um, We seem to have a problem with murder. Uh, definitely with gun violence. Yeah. It, they all seem to be gun-related. Um, yeah. I. Well, it says that... Police data, I'm reading from the Tennessee, and police data shows homicides up 51.2% in the first six months of 2021. They were now, up in 2020. Were they down in 2020 because nobody left the house? I No, I don't think so. I think they were up in 2020 as well. Um, I, and again, I don't have the, I'm talking off, I'm talking out of my butt. No, right that, but no, I happen to have the article open. Okay, good. So it says here, with 109 killings... 2020 marked the third highest year for criminal homicides in the history of Nashville. Right. So what were the, does it say which were number one and number 2017 two? was 111, the most ever since 1997 when there were 112. Uh, don't know what was going on in 1997. I was living in Los Angeles. Yeah, 1997, that's probably the height of, of what we used to call Dodge City. Uh, which is kind of over in North Nashville. You know where Fountain Square is. Oh, sure. Where, where, over right. there. And things got just crazy. Got really, a, a lot of gangy over there a for a little while. A oh, it got cracky. cracky. Yeah, cracky. That makes so, sense. So, um, so yeah. The, so, it, it is extremely troubling. I, I think, personally, um, again, when the world is crazy, right. craziness happens. And, um, you know, I think there are a lot of folks that are maybe would have been engaged in other activities that aren't engaged in those activities. I don't know. I I also believe that we're still continuing, my soapbox, we're still continuing to reap the effects of cutting social services. Sure. Um, So what you see is, again, a lot of the gun violence is happening in communities that are economically challenged. Right. um, Among populations that are economically challenged. Um, and who have not gotten the support of the city because in this city, our 
favorite saying is, well, how can we cut that? And uh, yeah. and so we've cut things to the point, particularly for children. Again, most of these folks are like my younger daughter's age, 21, yeah, 22, 23, 24. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and these it is are, like eight, 17 to 25 yeah. is like the big grab. And, and these are folks that don't have, how do I put it? I mean, it's... Well, they don't have hope. They don't have much hope. <laughs> That's There's, one of the things that I always feel like gets overlooked. Because there's no way to diagnose lack of hope. Right. I mean, we call it, we call a lot of things depression. And and they certainly can be clinical depression, which is a very diagnosable chemical disorder that causes your brain to act in a certain way. Um, but a lot of the same symptoms come from just not believing there's any out. There's no way out. It, no, I think that's exactly right. And And then you could, you know, you can look at things like the, uh, moving away from institutions like the church, which provided uh, support services and hope, you know, as as a generation rapidly becomes de-churched, uh, and and that again, I'm a professional in the business, so I'm going to have this uh, this perspective. But that the church provided an institution of support services for people. And if you're not there, where are you getting those kinds of support services along the way? Then the government has to pick it up uh, on some of those things. And that could be, you know, supplemental food. That could be um, mental health care. It could be a lot of different things. Right. Um, and so you've got these kids that are just kind of left out there. Um, and, you know, as crazy as things are, I can see them kind of going, what the hell, man? I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. Um, but yeah, it's it's troubling. I should note that Nashville, if you're wondering about the the gun violence rate in Nashville, Nashville the Nashville Police Department, I'm going to give them kudos for this, has just created a new dashboard of um, basically reporting on different types of offenses. Uh, and it includes a map, like a Google map that you can look at and say, well, okay, where did the gun violence um, incidents happen um, and and I'm using gun violence because yes the murder rate is up but just the shooting at people rate is up as well no doubt about it and so um, some of them don't kill you some of them don't kill you you can shoot people and miss but you get pretty maimed along the <laughs> yeah, way it's not, it's so, not a good look so yeah I mean I, <laughs> excuse me um, you know, you have to excuse him. He had surgery this week. I did. Oh. So, oh. He's very delicate. I'm very a delicate flower. <laughs> so, um, no, the, uh, the... So what do you do about it? Right. Okay. I have an idea. Okay. What if we make it legal for everyone to carry a gun without training, a permit, a background check, or registration? You know, it seems to me that all of those folks that were arguing arguing for open carry never yeah. are at a place where they're at risk of getting shot at. Oh no, never. It's it. it <laughs> it's really funny to me that um, the dichotomy of thought necessary right. in this state to come right. up with this stuff. These are these are openly bigoted, minority hating people, right? And right. they have made it legal. Mm-hmm. for every member of a minority in the state of Tennessee to now walk around with a gun strapped to their hip without right. having to sign any pieces of paper or anything. Right. So you're not allowed to do it if you're otherwise 
uh, illegal to have a gun, right? So if you're a, a convicted felon, if you blah blah blah, there's a bunch of not a bunch, but or if you're sure. if you're a certified mentally ill, like you probably can't. Or it's illegal. The problem is there's no enforcement and there's no way to measure that. Right. It's been my experience that when people walk down the street, it's very difficult to tell if they were convicted of a felony 20 years ago. Right. Um, the I know that the same people that voted for open carry think that they can tell by looking at someone if they were convicted of a felony, but I have some news for them. Being African-American doesn't mean that you have ever had a felony. Exactly. It has nothing to do with it. They're not related. Although in this city, it's <sighs> uh, given the, the 37218, there's a pretty high chance that yeah, it's considered Right, it is considered. Now, you probably have been incarcerated because yes. sometimes taillights do go out. Exactly. They just, just happens. Exactly. I have seen this happen. I've had a taillight go out myself. Yeah. So, 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 so it so, is, yeah, you know, I mean, this is a frustration. So. It is a frustration. And, and again, it would, well, police need to do more. Well, um, and I know this is not going to be popular among my defund the police folks, but, <laughs> right. uh, friends, but, and, and I understand exactly the sentiment behind that. Uh, Nashville has consistently run low in terms of the number of police compared with other major cities of our size in terms of the number of actual officers on the street covering a much larger area uh, of land than any of those. Uh, I could other fix this problem are. too. Yeah, I know you could. I but. have a fix for this. No. I have it actually. I've, I've sorted it all out. Okay, so what is it? We have a shortage of police personnel right we've been a hundred and some officers short since i moved here right just like we never have enough people to actually man what we have on the schedule Mm -hmm. so uh, by the way that means that that redneck that moved here from somewhere out in the counties um so that he could come down here and eliminate the african-american problem Mm -hmm. um he's working 18 hours a day sometimes because he's doing overtime downtown because they make a lot of money working downtown. Sure. Directing, they theoretically directing traffic. They don't actually direct traffic. Um, but, so he's also tired, grumpy, and hungry. So, I mean, we're making a bad situation. So what we do, we do the ultimate diversion program. Which is? And we just take, if you are arrested on a nonviolent felony, yeah, then uh, you either choose a police academy or jail. Okay. That works. We can I like do that. it, right? I mean, yeah. if we take people that, listen, here are people that are trying to, particularly marginalized communities, they're trying to express their frustration and independence and all these things that get built up that don't, when you don't feel like there's any hope and you don't feel like you have any access right. to this country, we'll fix it. We'll give you $46,000 a year, full benefits and a pension, and you can drive around and uh, go, you know, you go through the academy like anybody else. Right. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, get a job. Yeah, that's it. I tend to. I've often been a, a person that believes that we should require mandatory um, service after high school. It's probably not a bad idea. I, you know, At the I, state our country's in, it's probably not a bad. I, idea. I don't want to draft for military service, although that's fine. If I don't that's particularly what, either, if but some what, sort of something. If that want, is what folks want to do, that's fine. But I think for some sort of public service uh, as a mandatory. Um, requirement after high school or after you maybe you could defer to after college but two years you know you yeah. go you go I work like for AmeriCorps for two years or deliver mail or all of come in and work for the police department come in and work for the police department I mean these are things that we could do and it's like uh, we've got a bunch of regulations that don't allow us to do a good job of right. policing right? right and so you know we have people that we've had to we've had to create these um 
sort of guardrails around the police department because historically becoming a policeman and it's it, listen i understand that 96 percent of all policemen never take their gun out of their holster their right, entire career exactly this is not a thing that happens all the time but even for you know four percent of policemen in the united states that's a lot of people uh and I, that's probably not the right number i'm making that up but it's in the 90s yeah but the, so very few people ever do the horrible things that we see police do, but enough of them do right. that we've had to create all kinds of guardrails around their behavior. If we had a truly diverse of background police department right. where people were then given the freedom to do what they know works, you could pull it off. Yeah, you I, know, I mean, if you take you know, a bunch of guys, like I said, if you take a bunch of gang members and give them guns and holsters and right. authority, they'll act like they are people that have authority, not people that are, they're not just slinging and shooting because that's what makes them feel better. Right. Right. This, this is happens out of desperation and, and a, a long term, you know, sort of disempowerment of over decades that pops some bad dudes out the other side. And by the way, 99% of all African Americans never unholster a weapon either. Exactly. <laughs> right? No, I so, mean, I think, that, I think that's exactly right. We just need um, to fix this crap. We need to fix this crap. And I think that also involves investment in social services and, and a variety of different things. Head Start, all of those kinds of things. Daycare, provision of daycare for, you know, a lot of parents can't afford daycare. Uh, and if we don't can't hire people, <sighs> then uh, it's, yeah, it I mean you can't. Tough. I mean it's, um, it's it's tough. I want to circle back though to something that you mentioned earlier, yeah. which was this kind of overtime issue with Nashville policing. Yeah, uh, which is we're shorthanded in terms of the number of police we have. Right, we are paying almost every police officer on the street to um, overtime, but it's overtime for event management. Yes, and there was a time. Uh, when the event makers when the event paid for makers the event paid for police? security yes yeah. you know event event is that for sure no longer the truth that is no longer the truth they, that, that is so something weird. happened in the Carl Dean administration where they made a switch somebody right, we need to look into this one an overt switch to basically say no we're just going to pay our cops overtime because and some of it may have been okay a lot of the cops were getting off work at the police department and then going to work for these security companies because they needed the bucks. Sure. Right? I, I get that. But... Um, I don't care if they hire uniformed officers. They should be paying them. They should be paying Steve them. Steve Smith should be paying the 18 guys downtown that are making Steve Smith a billionaire. But the, the problem is, is that the funds for things like social services, for uh, hiring more police officers, for doing all of those kinds of things are tied up because we're paying overtime. As Correct. a city. And so, yeah, Steve, the Downtown Business Coalition or whatever it's called, Downtown Business yeah. Partnership. Yes. Um, they need to be paying for security. if they Or want the to, Convention and Visitors Bureau could do it because they get all the money anyway. Exactly. And so, well, they're kind of one in the same. The, the Are downtown, they partners? Downtown Business Partnership is sort of a this really function is. of the Convention I mean, it, Visitors it, this, Bureau. It really is. Um, that this is like what makes people think that there is like this cabal of people working together underground to take over everything. And it's because 
there there's are. this group of people that are working together to take over everything. And, and like, honestly, that's part of Nashville's history. Ugh. I mean, there was a there used to be a private club called the Watauga Club. Yes, the Watauga. And and um, they were Nashville bankers and movers and shakers, yep. and they met in their cigar with their cigars, and, and they only would men. make decisions. Only white men. Only white men. And right. they would make decisions about what would happen with the city. What's interesting? Once is, it was closed down, it became Jimmy Kelly's. By the way, yeah. Well, they just did. moved. Well, yeah. well, no. The standard. Well, now it's the standard again. Yes, yes. It's but, really happening over there. Oh yeah. I, you know, I I dated a woman for a while that was a member of the standard. Oh, see, they have women members. Oh, they do, and, and they have African American members. At one of the finest stakes I've ever had, I will say. Yeah, yeah and sure. She was a very nice person. I'm sure. I wish the best for her. I do that. Uh, but um, she, uh, I I always felt weird in there. First of all, because I oh, was yeah. a liberal in this institution of Republican. Uh, folk but it just always felt a little weird and slimy i don't know what it was it's really funny as sort of a lifelong reagan-esque republican guy for most of my life right um i'm now creeped out right by the old school republicans and sure. it's like i had a conversation last night with a person that is very uh, is a significant player in washington dc republican politics and i was like physically ill after i left their presence for like an hour i came home Instead afterwards and laid down instead of driving which says really don't there's really no need to be driving anymore I don't know why I do that but it's still a thing um, but it was like uh, we just you know I wrote an article about the music business about seven or eight years ago about how to solve the current problems that were going on in that industry at the time and I said you know honestly it's just going to take some coffins right you know these people have to just get old mm -hmm. and die and then younger people come in that understand what's going on. And even those younger people that come in will still be 30 years older than their customers and so still detached. Right. But in politics, we have, we really, 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 really desperately need mandatory retirement. I know. I think I mean, that's right. Uh, honestly, on both sides, you got Joe Manchin stopping everything the Democrats want to do. You've got. Um, 342 members of Congress, I'm making that up, but it's like, all, well, more than half that are just trying to stop anything that anybody wants to do. Right. Period. Like, Republicans won't even pass their own stuff. Right. Because they just don't think they ought to vote on stuff anymore. Uh, it kind of, it seems Mitch McConnell's way. thing has been, since the election of Barack Obama, Right. he has not called for votes on three, four things. Except for ju judges. Well, they do judges all the time, very quietly. The Nobody pays any attention. And the news media, which is supposed to be this vast liberal conspiracy, right. which, by the way, if they were, they would be covering the judges yeah. in the last four years, exactly. not the other crap that they like to talk about. Yeah. They only like blood and bodies. Uh, what's destroyed the United States is the Supreme Court and the federal judgeships yeah. becoming, not because they're conservative or, or liberal. That's all been part of the thing. It's becoming Trumpian right. or normal. Right. And now we've added Trumpians, and that is just psycho. So anyhow, we can talk about this forever. We're going to take one more break, and then we're going to come back and uh, talk about two or three fast-hitting, go-get-em, get-her-done kind of things um, that have to do with hiring. We talked about employment and the challenges thereof, but we have an employment problem 
uh, in the mayor's office. Uh, we'll touch <laughs> that. It comes under the classification of what will almost certainly be the title of this episode, Better Call Saul. There's uh, <laughs> a, a guy that I'm oh, it's a great friends show, with. Guy, it's really great. Saul Solomon, who is an attorney and an executive and a businessman in Nashville, um, is up for a job. Bonnaroo's been canceled. Uh, that's a whole thing. We had a flood on one side of town and a flood on the other side of town, and both have caused completely different problems. And then I say we wrap it all up with having some real fun talking about redistricting. And I went to Fifth and Broadway, and I've actually been now to, hear about to it. several. Th- I went. It was very cool. So Good. more to follow after this break. Thanks. This portion of the BNA podcast is brought to you by Driving in the Rain, a collection of stories by Nadia Bruce Rawlings. Delving into addiction, abuse, and ultimately redemption. Published by Punk Hostage Press. Available on Amazon. We're back, I think. Yes, look at this. We're like right back here where we were a minute ago. I always have to ask because you have the computer. So I, I do. Don't, and I it's, don't. We don't have like a fancy red light. Yes. No. I mean, if we did, you we know. We don't have to put on the red light. We don't have to put on the red light. And we also don't have to sleep with strangers because of that. Exactly. So this is great news it's all the way around. Uh, so there's a few things going on here in Nashville, Tennessee. There's a, there's a big brouhaha about something that um, makes me think. Does Nashville, do the city council members in Nashville really have nothing better to do? That's what my first thought was. Uh, they've, uh, yeah. The mayor has nominated a longtime engaged Nashvilleian, uh, a man named Saul Solomon, to be the interim director of finance. And to be transparent, you are friends with I Saul. I am friends with Saul. Um, yeah. I like Saul an awful lot. And I mean, we're not like close personal friends. I know him really well. I've right. been to his house and, sure. you know, I mean, I've uh, done business with him and stuff. And I, I think I, we've I, met sometime well, once he's or He's just an exceptionally good dude. Right. But I mean, I know a lot of exceptionally good people that I wouldn't make the interim director of finance. Right. Um, so... But I will say this, Saul is an unusual bird in that he's been an attorney uh, for his entire adult life. Um, I I guess he's in his 60s, Uh, maybe a couple of years older than me, I don't know. Must be noon, because the siren just went off. The air ain't siren just went off. It's um, the first uh, Saturday, isn't it? Yes, and uh, so you know, a lot of people don't know that Jay's a little older than me, so when he hears the tornado siren, he still calls them air raid sirens because of his time in World War II. But the... um, so, but Saul Solomon, so he was an attorney, always, as far as I know, he's always been an attorney and uh, in his professional life, but he was of counsel for Bridgestone, but then he was also president of the commercial tire division at Bridgestone. Uh, he's been an entrepreneur, an investor, and a small business owner in this city for like 40 years. Right. He's also been very involved in all kinds of political things. He's involved in uh, Walk Bike Nashville. Mm -hmm. He's very positive on sidewalks and greenways and bicycles and green transportation and transportation in general. He's a very strong supporter of some of our needed uh, social causes in the city. He's just, you know, overall a really good guy, but he also has the background of running a billion-dollar company for Bridgetown. So, um, Which I don't may know. or may not be a qualification. May or may not, but one of the, the, the reason I bring it up is because 
uh, Jeff Syracuse and a couple of other people are like, well, I mean, we need people with real business background to run the Department of Finance. And I'm like, well, if you can find somebody that ran a billion dollar company that wants to take that crappy job. Right. I mean, it's taken like an $800,000 a year pay cut to do this. Well, and the, I was going to say the reason we lost the previous finance director mm-hmm. is he did his year 18 months and then said, I'm going back I gotta into go make business. Some I got to yeah. make some My money. My wife still likes shoes. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So. Um, yeah, it's it, as I've read the stories and heard about it, it, what it really comes down to, Solomon is a lawyer, so he has he clients. Is. He has clients. And one of his clients is Very high-profile clients. Very high-profile mm-hmm. clients. One of his clients is a construction company mm-hmm. that um, did some shady dealings in terms of uh, under-the-table payments, around contracts, stuff like yep. that. Which is why you hire a lawyer. Which is why you hire yep. a lawyer. And so... Solomon has been fighting against those payments or uh, the uh, what this company is supposed to pay back to Metro right. for stuff that and so some council people then are saying um, well that you know since he's well, he's against, working against our better he's interest work, working against our better interest thank you I can't couldn't come up with the words um, so so there are a few not all a few council people that are saying, well, maybe he shouldn't be the, the the nominee for interim finance director. Now, they're not talking it's about him. It's not a him. permanent job. It's not a permanent gig. They are <laughs> under, they're still uh, searching for a right. permanent gig, which is one of the council persons is saying, well, you know, um, it seems like they're really slow walking this, uh, this new permanent finance director, and so we're gonna have him around for a while, so we need to treat him as if he was a permanent director. Right, right, right. Um, I, I can say he doesn't want to be permanent. No, there's no, there's, there's <laughs> no way in the world no, that Saul Solomon is going to be the permanent director of finance for, um, for the mayor's administration. Uh, not to mention the fact that, I mean, He's a really nice guy, right? But he is an insanely powerful presence to be around, right? And I'm going to say most of the guys on the council have known and dealt with Saul over the years, mm-hmm. and uh, they're probably scared of him. And I don't blame them. I think that's exactly. He's right. really, really not the kind of guy that you want to walk up to and and try to talk him out of something that he knows better. Um, and uh, you know, listen, we've known you and I personally know two people that have been C-level executives at the Bridgestone, and they're not really either one of them the kind of people you want to try to convince otherwise. No. Right? You better no. come packing. No. Right? They, they, they now, know he'll what listen. They He's a great listener. Yeah. I will no, give I him, uh, and, but, but you better come packing. Right. right. You better not make it up on, you don't wing it. Yeah. Now, I mean, I, I would argue, as you know, I argue on a regular basis. That's your thing. I'm not, um, overly convinced that just having business credentials makes you effective in government. Um, right. I think, you know, our governor has business credentials, although the, he, yes. theoretic, theoretical, theoretically. Yeah. His I mean. don't really, exa- I, no, it's, this is where we digress because we were talking about this earlier, but the uh, the ability of people like Bill Lee to convince the uneducated that he has business background is freaking awesome. Yeah. Um, I mean, listen, everybody knows Bill Lee's grandfather was a multimillionaire that owned a massive cattle farm that he still lives on and sure. owns. His father then, I guess, started the Lee Company. Right. And uh, he inherited the Lee Company. Mm-hmm. He's never started a business. Yeah. He doesn't even know what that means. And I guarantee you, if he was willing to answer questions from reporters, which he is not, 
Uh, you could ask him, how much does it cost to start an LLC in Tennessee? He could not answer that question. He does not know. No, I think that he has never done any of this stuff. And and but he's yeah. just a trust fund baby. Well, he is, and I I I give you that. I guess what I'm saying is that the nature of government is different from a business. It is, and. Um, you know, with Solomon, from what I know about him, he seems like a pretty pragmatic guy. Yeah, definitely, he, that, he yeah. knows how to um, be able to deal with financial markets, which is, I mean, Important, that's yeah. one of the things for the finance director in our city. Is it's an immensely complicated job, it be- is. because of you know I, there is nobody on the council that's currently on the council. I think that could function in that job. No, and people that I know and love, and they're great, but they don't have the skills and the business acumen or the Correct. the financial acumen. I wouldn't want to call it business acumen. It's about about understanding things like bonds and yep. and how all that works. Um, I think Saul probably does. Yeah, the, the biggest thing so. for that position is: do they have the trust? Does the mayor trust them? Correct. Um, because we've been in situations with finance directors where mayors had. A whole lot more. I mean, uh, finance directors had a whole lot more power, and basically affected policy rather than um, just looking at the numbers. Yep. And I don't think Saul's going to try to affect policy in that way. I could be wrong. I, I think it's highly unlikely. Yeah. I mean, Saul's one of those people. I mean, I, you know, from watching him in some fun situations and some difficult situations. Uh, I would say he's the kind of guy that's going to take um, a very, very pragmatic look at what's going on uh, in the in the Department of Finance. As I, this is, you know, cities are very interesting birds because like a city like Nashville, especially in hyper growth, right. we're funded almost exclusively with debt. So we pay for everything with debt, and then we take the taxes to pay the debt. Right. We don't take the taxes to pay the policemen. We take take the taxes to pay the bonds. We pay interest on bonds and principal on bonds, plus other debt, which has to be approved by the council, and then right. that money is then dispersed to the departments. Right. This idea, which is the, really what's fundamentally broken in the way our country works, is that there are, there are about 50% of the people in the United States that still think we operate like uh, like we have a bank account at Regions and we right. make a deposit yeah. and then we pay stuff and it's like, no, nobody does that. No, right? and it, it, That's not how, by the way, Wall Street wouldn't be the most valuable uh, financial entity on the planet if that was the case. Right. Wall Street figured out a long time ago how to make it really attractive to cities and states to borrow money to do all the things they needed to do and then they sell those bonds and then they take those bonds by the way and then they group them right. as groups of bonds and then they resell them and then they resell them again so all day every day what funds the city is being traded as a commodity exactly and that has to be understood and it has to be managed and it is highly complicated and for me to I mean I know how it works but I don't know nearly enough to to understand how somebody would even begin to manage it. Um, and, and I will say, you know, I've had a lot of interaction with the council over the past few years. Um, the number of council members that fully understand the financial picture, picture has been very limited. Yeah. Um, Emily Evans, when she was on the council, was a bond manager, and she really did. So she understand. got it. She yeah. got it. Cooper, as as mayor, yeah. actually had a pretty good sense of what was going on financially um, when he was on the council. Right. Um, and that make, make 
both of those names may make it seem like I'm a conservative. I'm not. Right. But I think you need to have folks that understand that if you want to then look at how you're going to enact policy. Yeah, if you want to have good policy, you need to have some depth of understanding of what you're actually enacting. And I think that's been that's the problem that we see in our state legislature. They don't, yeah. they don't understand how the state works. Um, they're, you know, largely, there are about three legislatures in the country that are fighting for least educated uh, mm-hmm. But man, we're doing a great job. Well, I I would also throw out there, and I know your your soapbox that you get on is reducing the size of the council, and I yeah. agree with that. Um, but I also think one of the things that has hurt us, I, I do. Here's the deal with term limits. Okay, on the one hand, I mm-hmm. get the idea of having fresh, you know, that you don't have these institutions and people, correct? That, you know, boss hog that's in the job forever. On the flip side, uh, being a council person, it's why I have not run <laughs> for council, <laughs> right. is a hard job. Yeah. But you've got to understand like property zoning, you've got to understand finances, you've got to understand this and that and this and that. And uh, two terms is not, I mean, literally the first term, you're just trying to learn what How long are the terms? Is. I think they're, are they three or four years? I, I don't know. I, I don't I'll know. Look. But I should know I that. I've I read should, it like 50 times. I, I should know remember. that too. But it's it's not a long period of time. And and so, honestly, they're just sort of beginning to understand how all this works when they move into the second term, if they do a second term. And um, there is some need for institutional memory or for folks that there understand They're four-year terms. You can okay, serve up years. to two four-year terms. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um Unless you're our councilman and he served an extra one because he, he, oh, he came in on one. He came yeah. in on one. So in the he's middle, done. He's I, done. He, I mean, he turned out anyway, but I think he's done. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I'm sure he's done. He's worn out. Yeah. He, he's, he's kind of a very tired man. Yeah, he, he started tired and got tireder. Exactly. Or tarder, so, as so, he would say. So, uh, you know, one of the things that I would be interested in was would be to look at a hybrid model where local district council people well this is hard to say i was going to say maybe we should not have term limits for at large um and have maybe or maybe it's at- just maybe just make them longer right it's right. just like do three instead of two right and that gives people plenty of time to learn how things operate although i would say you know two four-year terms depending on the person it 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 may be that we need to go back to that core issue and actually elect smarter people well Agreed. Always something to consider. Now, Agreed. what everybody has said, and I, I don't disagree with on my theory of like every term for the next 15 years, we need to reduce by 10 members Agreed. <laughs> our council down to 12 and make them full-time, this would full-time be paid positions. Because in a city like Nashville with these incredibly complicated issues, asking a guy like our full-time working attorney Larry Hagar to work until 6.30 or 7 o'clock at night, drive home and start reading 45 pages of council data and then look at every time somebody wants to build a garage at their house and then look at everybody that wants to pour a new sidewalk uh, and have to go through all of that kind of stuff as his hobby, as though he was a den leader for a scout troop. Right. Um, this is a crazy ask of it people. It is. Yeah, that's it's a crazy ask. Why I haven't run. So, totally get it, man. Every now it's and like, then I'll think about it, and then yep. I'm kind of like, yeah, I don't, I've got enough on and, my plate. Unless it's a springboard to something else. Right. Um, 
it's just not worth it. No, I think that I think that's right, um, and I do think um, reducing the number of council people would help. This would be a great time to do it. We're in a redistricting. Yeah, year, we're in a but redistricting. Gonna the um, what's going to happen in redistricting? Much of anything. Well, you know, it's, it's going to dramatically affect our state, but maybe not the city. It's in, no, it's interesting in Nashville because our system is that our planning commission does it. Right, and so we have is, a planning commission. We do have a. That's planning a best commission. kept secret in Tennessee. Oh no! Yeah. When you drive up and down the streets of Nashville, and you ask people, which I have, by the way, yeah, um, do you think we have a planning commission? No one would say yes. Yes, we do. Actually, no one. We have a planning commission, and they do overlays and things like that. I, I, I'll give them a little bit of credit, God. but they're the ones who are responsible for the redistricting, and and basically what they do is. So as I understand the redistricting law in Metro is that you have to limit, you basically have to have a district based off of population. And so depends on how the population has been redistributed. You still divide by 40? Uh, it's, it's like, I think it's like 50,000 people a district or something So we could like have that. more. I don't think we can have more. I think okay. it's maxed out at, at the number 43. we 43. Yeah. But they will be moving the lines around to Which try to get fine. folks in, yeah. you know. Uh, so that right. would mean that if it was 50 last time, it might be 60,000 people this time. Right. In a district. Uh, Which means you could end up representing eight to 10 blocks downtown. Yeah, but the goal is is to try to equalize the number between all the districts so that you, each council person is As, yeah, same number of the same number yeah, of yeah. residents. So, that never works, but yeah, I get it. So what might happen is that what, um, the downtown district has been because that's been the largest growth in population. Mm-hmm. Um, that might actually shrink, yeah, and yeah. Uh, some of those more outlying areas. The get East Nashville guy into. is going to grab some downtown. Right. The Southeast Nashville guy is going to grab some right. downtown. So uh, it, all none of, of that makes any sense. All of that's to but. say, if we were going to reduce the number of council people, this would have been the year to do it, but yeah. we didn't do well, it. Well, nobody so. thinks it's a good idea. I mean, I talked to some council people on the Twitter. Yeah. About this very idea, and we are going to invite some council members to come join us sure. over the next uh, few months and see if somebody'd like to be a part of the podcast. Uh, but they were both unaware that we had a high number. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I talked to one in particular, and I'm not going to name them because they were just, they were flipping back and forth on Twitter. I don't, you know, that's not something to hold somebody to, but um, they're like, well, Austin may only have like 12 city council members, but then they also have a county. And so they have county supervisors. Which is true. Yeah. Four. Which is true. I looked it up. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> they have four county supervisors and 12 city council meetings, so they're almost twice as big as us. Right. They got 16. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I mean, you know, the, the, here here's the problem I struggle with to some extent is, how do I put this? This silence is not supposed to be there. You can cut that out, right? No, no, no. That's part of the dramatic uh, The dramatic thing. thing, yeah. So I hear the arguments about um, reducing the number of council people. And I think, I, and I tend to resonate with those. Except, you know, what I'm seeing, so let me give an example. In the Methodist church that I'm a part of, we used to have seven districts in our conference, okay? Um, they said, well, that's too many. We need to reduce it, and re- uh, you know, for financial and other reasons. And so they've taken us down to five districts, which is great, except for, we don't get the level of service that we got before. Uh, yeah. We don't, I mean, it, it but does. You guys also have a reduction in population. 
Well, we do have a reduction in population, so that that does affect that. But um, I'm not always. I mean, on the one hand, having a lot of council people is is it makes it easy to know. I can call up Larry. You yeah. know, sure. Uh, my my uh, the, the sewer line is coming out in my yard. Uh-huh. Okay, let's. Go. I can call Larry and do that. Yeah. Where where if it's a uh, somebody that has a larger area, you might not feel as capable of doing that kind. Oh, of I don't. Th- I don't think there's any question that that would be the case. And I think it right. does require neighborhood councils to become a more important part of things. Okay. Uh, neighborhood organizations get, uh, but I think they get naturally energized by having that power, mm-hmm. right? If you are one of the 14 council people, and yes, you've got a hundred thousand people in the metro area or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, for us, it's only there's only seven hundred thousand people here, right? right? It's not that big a deal. Sure. So, say there's fifty thousand people in your area, and they, that has to be dealt with. If they've got a great neighborhood organization in Old Hickory Village and mm-hmm. in Hermitage and in Donaldson, etc., it empowers more local participation. Where somebody like I would work. Right. on an empowered local group. Right. I don't want to be a city councilman. Sure. At least not today, I know. The, um, but I, you know, I, I could get involved in that, right? I understand it. Right. I have a reason to be involved. I understand how things work, and so I could be, I could really feel like I'd be a contribution as a volunteer. Right. And also allows me to come and go as I please. Right. Right? Gotcha. So a whole bunch of people could get involved at the hyper-local level, and then condense those things and have sure. the council person say, hey, create a neighborhood association and we'll allow you to be the clearinghouse for the issues that you need to bring up. So sure. if there's rezoning, that the proposal that actually goes to the council person has mm-hmm. already been micro-vetted by the people most gotcha. touched by whatever that change might be. Because gotcha. we all look at it and think when they want to build 230 condos behind your house, right? right. The, uh, the city council did not review that. No, they didn't. It was voted on by council courtesy, right? Back whenever it became industrial, back 400 years ago. Nothing has ever been discussed, right? Right. No. But the idea, and by the way, it's one of those things, right? If the council person was active, Mm -hmm. that area would have been rezoned to residential, Mm -hmm. probably R1, 25 years ago, right? Because it set vacant, right? For decades, right? So that would have been, you know, the strip that touches Old Hickory mm-hmm. Boulevard would have remained commercial. Right. Everything behind it would have been R1. Right. And it would have required the councilman to look at it and bring it for community conversation. But they're too busy. Yeah. No, you can't look at right. your council district and say, why is this area still commercial? We've had this massive encroachment mm-hmm. of, of, um, of residential areas around here that need to be dealt with. Um, and that's how we ended up with a quarry less than a mile from a TVA dam. It is important, I will say, if you're a Nashvilleian listening to this, to make yourself somewhat familiar with the zoning uh, ordinances in terms of what different categories uh, exist. Yeah, and what so, they mean. Yeah. So again, me mentioning the condos behind my house, which right. are lovely, and I'm, you know, it's going to be fine. Yeah, you're going to yeah, plant I, some trees. Everything plant some will be trees. Fine. They'll be great. Um, I recommend the ones that have those. It was zoned really, really good mixed roots. use. Okay. Right. Beware mixed use yes. because that basically allows a developer to pretty much put anything they it's want. It's unlimited almost. It's, yeah. it's unlimited on, uh, almost. Uh, so industrial. Again, industrial, like we got a bunch of that over yeah, here. Yeah, and, um, uh, and when I was the president of the chamber over here, I, I didn't mind that because I felt like because of the heritage of DuPont, sure. we could handle industrial and, yeah. and make the industrial residential thing work. Um, but... 
We, there's just a natural barrier around the industrial too. Right. There's a natural residential barrier. Right. It flows pretty normally. It flows pretty normally. But we didn't know that industrial included, um, you know, blowing up rocks under right, the ground going, next yeah, to a dam. Digging 800 feet into the ground. Yeah. So, so, um, I, so anyhow, so a couple of things. Okay. I was going to say, it sounds like fifth and Broadway time to me. Bonnaroo. Bonnaroo. Oh. Was canceled. Bonnaroo uh, went. This is a thing. Um, it is a so huge Bonnaroo thing. gets canceled. There are 80,000 extra people visiting Nashville right now. they got nothing to do all day. Um, I can tell you one thing. They did not go to the soccer game last night. Well, uh, they didn't? They did not. Oh, interesting. Uh, it's... I am of the opinion, mm-hmm. and my son and I were at Fifth and Broadway, which I'll talk about in just a minute, but mm-hmm. the, we were at Fifth and Broadway for a showcase of an artist and then went to a reception, uh, and that was all great. We get in the car, we're driving back by, and on the way over, it seemed like there was nobody in the stadium at right. 6 o'clock. I'm like, well, it doesn't start till like 7 o'clock, so right. people are milling about outside. You know? uh, no, the reality is nobody goes. Right. Nobody cares. It yeah. is super super meaningless from a from the standpoint of people actually going to the game this was a national soccer club game we won by four it was a big success there well, was not one seat above yellow yeah well nobody was in that stadium that's well, it's I'm, a big stadium yeah, i mean i, I get it's it. a big stadium there was so. just nobody there was no traffic right there was no need for police to be guiding the traffic i drove right past woodland both directions and never slowed down um it's just, you know, I, we got to look at it. It's not a given that Nashvillians are going to go fill up this big, beautiful new soccer stadium. I, yeah, although I will say, you know, my hope is that when they move into their place. Yeah. Um, now, again, I was not a supporter of the soccer stadium. No, that's, that's, not there. Anyway. Not there. Um, but when they move into their place, I would hope they would, like, start marketing. You know, the, that's one right. of the things. The well, they think they are. The Predators spent <laughs> yeah, a lot bunches of, of bucks yeah, yeah. to build a hockey hockey audience in a southern town. Yeah, uh, and you do have to do it. And way. they haven't really done that at the Nashville's. I mean, I can't, you know, I can't, you know, I know that if I'm on Facebook, I might get a Predators ad just pop up, okay? Yeah, yeah right. I ain't getting any of that from the Nashville soccer club. No, you know, that's so true. I'm not just not Well, I will marketing. say, just to go back to it, I do agree with that. I'm just, I put that there as a concern. Mm-hmm. Let us mark that currently as a concern. I know, I have, I have a handful of friends that go to the soccer games, love the soccer. Right. Coach soccer, play soccer, do all that kind of stuff. We have a long way to go before we have a profitable soccer team. And like I always say, if a billionaire tells you to build something and it's going to be a great investment, never do it because that means it wasn't good enough for them. Well, people don't go for the sport. They go for the experience. You've yeah. got to understand. And right now, I mean, we don't of, have of that, you might have, you know, a third of the people that are there because they really like soccer or they yeah. really like baseball yeah, or sure. they really like hockey. you got other folks that are there because, like it's for fun me, go. yeah. going to a sounds game, so I, I particularly like afternoon games. I sit back and drink a beer, have a hot dog. Watch, you yeah, know, there's a baseball of, game. There's, there's a, a crack of the bat. Going, there's people yeah. running around. There, there's, it's, there's, it's, a, it's an experience. And we always talk about that. I haven't ever been to a sounds game. but oh, there, well, um, I'm sure it's fun. It's great. Uh, but it's like it's like the best... It's like the best sports bar in Nashville, and there's actually a live game going on right exactly. there. Exactly, I've yeah. heard people say that. Yeah, well, we, I will say this: I'm going to go because we're at 60 minutes right now. We're we're supposed to be done, but I went to Fifth and Broadway. I've now been there twice. Once I just went over and had still lunch. Haven't made it. I gotta go. And I went to the food court the other day, got some food with my wife, and then we went to the Ryman Auditorium and saw Steve Earle. Fascinating mm-hmm. show. Um, 
And it was a fascinating show because of COVID, Los Lobos was supposed to be the headliner. They canceled, thus leaving Steve Earle this entire evening to fill. I'm sure he enjoyed it. Yeah, and well, it was cool, right? So he has his uh, guitar player and singer be the opening act. They're Mm -hmm. really great. So they did their thing. Then they go off, and then he comes on and plays. And it was really weird. So we're sitting in seats from his office. So I got really good seats. So I'm sitting in these really good seats, watching the show, and he plays all of his known songs... And then ends his show with Copperhead Road. This is 50 minutes in. Yeah. And then stops and says, all right, so what I did there was I played everything. I know everybody came to hear. And if you're still on paper and you got an ankle bracelet, you can make it home before it beeps. <laughs> says, but because of this unique situation, now we're going to hang around for a little while and play some music. Okay. So then he started playing songs from this new project he's done, which is about Appalachian coal mines and sure. unions, which, by the way, um, he may be what, probably the only living working artist in the United States that I think has any authority to write about that. Exactly. And so I'm happy that he did it. And I, it made me anxious to go see that show, which is being done by the Community Theater in New York. But... So I'll be interested to see how that actually goes. Mm-hmm. The only problem with him is he can be a little precious and over the top about his causes. Sure. But the great thing about this compressed hit show that he really wanted to get done yeah. so that he could do what he wanted right. was that he didn't talk. Oh. And the problem with going to a Steve Earle show, yes. he's a hyper-liberal activist that goes off about all these things. In recovery. In recovery. Yeah. And talks about all of those things ad nauseum. And he didn't because he was trying to do this thing where he right. could play all of his hits, get done, close with Copperhead Road, and then play his new music for the for the loyal, dedicated right. ones that wanted to stay. Yeah, we left after about three songs because my wife was tired, so it was great for me. Yeah, so great show. But we went to Fifth and Broad. We ate at the food court, What'd which is called the something. What do they call it? It's got some fancy name, but anyhow, it's a food court. Gotcha. Uh, the food tasted like the food assembly court. hall. Assembly hall. Yeah. Uh, assembly food hall. Right. So we went to the assembly food hall, right. and I had some of the uh, falafel. No, what do you call the shawarma? What is wrapped yeah. up in a thing? Yeah. One of no, those. Pita I thing, had a like pita gyro. wrapped up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, gyro. Gyro is the word, but in Tennessee, gyro. Gyro. So I had a gyro. My wife had some uh, poke bowl, which is some fish in a bowl thing. Yeah. They were both incredibly average at best. Okay. Uh, if too, somewhere between average and really not very good. I wouldn't do it again. How was the pricing? Um, higher than it should have been. Gotcha. Because it's fifth and broad. So the food was a miss, although we've I've been to uh, Slim and Huskies there, and I love Slim and Huskies. This yeah. is good. Yeah. Uh, also expensive, but but it's really good. Yeah. So that's different. Uh, then I went to a showcase on the top floor mm-hmm. of the Assembly Food Hall. There was a showcase stage, an outdoor. Um, it's really a venue. I mean, it would seat several hundred people. Right. It was set up for such a thing, and saw a showcase of a kid that's a great singer. And I was like, you know, this is the best venue in Nashville. That's cool. I mean, it was like for a small venue, like you're looking, I was, my son were looking at, and a bunch of friends of mine were there because of the kind of showcase sure. it was. So we're all talking about, you look down Broadway mm-hmm. from Fifth, elevated above it all, and you look at all those little teeny tiny rooftop bars and think, right. nope, this is the joint. 
Yeah. This is the place to be. Oh, that's cool. Um, How many people's the big. venues see? I, it's, it would be several hundred. Okay. And then you can, can you hear the music from down in the food, uh, like down in the food court? Uh, no. Okay. No, this so is a a separate, definitely a separate venue. It's the gotcha. roof. It gotcha. is the rooftop of that section. Gotcha. Um, so you go like, what's the third floor, basically. Gotcha. And, but it's quite big, all outdoors, but a full-on stage. Cool. With full-on lights. Oh, that's and great. full-on sound. Good. But you could not hear, occasionally you hear the woo-woo girls going down the street behind right. you if you were sitting at the very back. Yeah. Uh, then backstage, there's a beautiful green room area, mm -hmm. and then a private bar. Oh, well, that's nice. That they had a little reception at afterwards. So if you're having an upscale showcase uh, for any kind of artist that you wanted to really put on the... Uh, put on the dog for the people that were at the show. This is a great place for it. And you got very private. There are no signs, no doors, no nothing to, to indicate that it's back there. Yeah. And it's a fully stocked, <coughs> pardon me. Bless you. Fully stocked, nice bar back there. Really pretty, very private. Cool. And uh, so it is it is very, it was a very cool experience. Next time so, you need a date for a showcase, give me well, a call. <coughs> I will do that and um, I still need to go to the uh, museum. Of yeah, that's American still on our list. We need yes. to just make that we happen. We just got to find a date. Weeks. I know. We need to yeah, pick one and go. Pick so. one and go. All well, right, hey, well, this is like a week of Nashville. There was a lot more going on than I thought. Well, and we're glad to be here with you. We hope that you'll continue to stick with us as we uh, pontificate about uh, Nashville politics. Uh, my wife t says called us the pontiffs, but I, yes. then she said that the world doesn't need any more white male pontiffs. And we don't I think need she's any more right. white male pontiffs. So, but, yes. so we, I guess we don't. I guess we bloviate instead of pontificate. Oh, I do. Yeah, exactly. At least you know stuff. I just bloviate. So okay. it's, like, it's just what makes it a good pair. So. Exactly. Well, well you guys it's have a good a, being with you. Have a great week in Nashville. Bye.